Thank you, worship team, and thank you, Faith Church West, for singing so uh, delightfully this morning. It's good to be with you. When I was uh, training my son to ride a bike, I did something a bit unorthodox, and I'm not necessarily recommending what I'm about to describe to you. Okay, so I had taken Josh to the Faith East Church parking lot in a wide open space, so there were no cars to run into. Now, there certainly were a lot of light poles and parking islands that were widely spaced out, and I, I wasn't also prepared for the uh, attracting forces that those things were to my son. I mean, out of the acres of parking lots, wide open space, he would draw right to those things. Nevertheless, I digress. The biggest challenge in me training my son to ride a bike was that Josh would not or could not keep his feet on the pedals to get that momentum going. The freedom he felt to constantly pull his feet off the pedals to save himself hindered him from the task at hand, which was learning to ride his bike. With my engineering background, I devised a solution to this problem the next time we went to the church parking lot. Now, guys, you know this. What is life's answers to almost every problem? It is duct, well, Jesus or duct tape, okay? So my son needed Jesus and I needed duct tape in that particular circumstance. Yes, I did that to my son. Yes, I did. I duct tape his feet to the paddles. I know, now you're saying, I really want to go to Brent's Parenting 101 Tips and Techniques class right now. Well, I strapped my son's feet to those paddles with duct tape. My son was constrained by force to not attempt to save himself during difficulty. Mark is laughing. Um, I told him... I told him, though, I reassured him that I'd be holding the bike and running behind him. He had to rely on me and me alone. Being constrained in such a way that you cannot save yourself, this is our tendency to save ourselves, Um, but being constrained where you cannot save yourself is truly a vulnerable position to be in. Unless the person that you are relying on, in this case, it was, he was, I was trying to help him to rely on me, unless the person you are relying on to save you is greater than yourself and has your best interest at heart. Well, I instructed him to pedal. At first, I could see him instinctively trying to pull those feet off those pedals so that he could save himself, but he was securely strapped in. I instructed him to pedal harder and faster, and I ran behind him, keeping my hand on the back of his seat. Before you knew it, Josh was riding his bike. Occasionally, I was, as I was running, I said, Josh, look, no hands, and it was not him, it was me, no hands, to give Josh confidence that he was riding on his own. Then Josh would instinctively swerve right to the light poles and all of the, the parking lot islands right there as well, but I had to put my hand on the back of the seat to stop him. When Josh was constrained to not save himself okay, with his own power, and, and he had to trust in somebody greater, he was able to accomplish the purpose. Okay. With that in mind, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. That is on page 181 in the back section of the Bible in the chair in front of you. We are continuing our series this morning, this year's series on hope for everyday life. And before we dive into the text, let's remind ourselves of some of the context that we have studied previously. You know this, the Apostle Peter was writing to a group of churches facing rising persecution. The churches, the Christians, were facing unjust injustice from people outside of their church, most likely people who had authority over them, the government, the other, other societal structures as well. You know, think about it for just a moment. Where do we struggle the most with injustice? Um, injustice from people who are under our authority or people who are over us. 
Most likely it's the latter because if we are the authority and somebody hurts us in some way underneath us, we can pull the levers of power and influence that we wield, that we have, and that nearly force a solution to the problem. But likely, however, when we struggle, we struggle more with when we don't have the levers of power. We're not in authority and there's somebody who treats us unjustly over us. In those circumstances, our natural tendency is to tempt in some way to save ourselves and to harm the other person. Maybe by attempting to escape the situation and getting over them, grasping for power in the situation, slandering, manipulating, scheming, seeking revenge. Um, the wet noodle approach by becoming cynical, apathetic, appeasing, avoiding, becoming unproductive. If you're a college student underneath a professor that's treating you uh, poorly or you're an employee underneath a boss that's treating you uh, poorly, the, we can become unproductive in our efforts, not giving our all. If we attempt to save ourselves in these kinds of circumstances, with these kinds of responses, we will not be accomplishing the purpose that God has called us here for in this broken world. Peter has given to us at this point our purpose in an example like this or a verse like this. You are chosen race. You were chosen for a purpose. So that, say so that so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Or this verse, keep your behavior excellence, excellent, so, so that as you, they observe your behavior, they might glorify God. And the only way they glorify God is if they become like, well, if they become a Christian themselves, as they see you in response to unjust suffering, that um, somehow, some way, that... Um, they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior as well, and they can glorify God on the day of visitation. There's our purpose to strap in, to duct tape ourselves to this broken world and engage, not escape, but engage, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of God's value system, so that others may come to know God and glorify Him when the day comes of judgment. But, but here's a question for us. <clears throat> what will show? What will show forth that purpose? What will show forth the excellencies of our God? What is most precious? Say precious. Okay, I know I parked on that term last time I was here to preach with you because that was in our text. Okay, so what is most precious to God in the midst of unjust suffering? Peter has and will be explaining and he'll be continually illustrating what preciousness to God is in this. So he has said, Peter has said this, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold. Peter has also said this about Christ and coming to him to, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Now, Peter has not defined what is precious. Uh, he has not defined what about Christ is precious. Today, we will get to see that. Okay, but right now in 1 Peter chapter 2, he had not defined it yet. But he keeps using that term, precious, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And this precious value is for you who believe. So Peter uses this term over and over. And then he will use it of wives who are suffering under unjust husband in next week's lesson. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Then there's our word, which is precious in the sight of God. 
Today you're going to see what is ultimately the highest resolution, um, brilliant definition of what preciousness is. But if we follow our natural instincts in the face of unjust suffering, most likely underneath authorities over us, and we pull our feet off the pedals and attempt to save ourselves, we won't manifest what is precious to God. We won't fulfill our purpose and why we're here. And we may not see others come to know God as well. So, with that in mind, let's read what God wants to duct tape our feet to in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 18, servants, be submissive. There it is. The duct tape. Get underneath. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. Now, now, pause for just a second. If you have those New American Standard Bibles, what do you notice about the word finds? What do you notice about the word finds? It's in, it's in italics, which means this. Okay, if you look at your you know, table of contents, the introductory things in your Bible, if something is italicized, the normal standard kind of reason for that is uh, the translators of the scriptures are telling you, we think the author meant to say this, but that word is not actually there. So interpreters think that the uh, natural implication is the word fine should be there, but is not there. Also, the word favor, say favor. Favor is the Greek word for grace. So literally, this says, for this grace, or is supplying a verb, for this is grace. I'll talk about that, the implications of that in just a moment at the end of our time together today. Um, for this is grace, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it. And we have the same translation challenge again. This is grace with God or concerning God. Verse 21. This is where you have been duct taped to. You have been called for this purpose. This is where you're duct taped to. Okay. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but in kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly, his Father. And he, bore him, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed." You were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This morning we're speaking about manifestations of hope and suffering, unjust suffering. Okay? I know there's many people who are suffering here because of other circumstances. Maybe God brought a loss into your life recently, and maybe it feels unjust. Okay? So I know there's several in here like that. But this is specifically talking about those most likely in authority over you who have perpetrated um, unjust acts upon you. Okay. Manifestations of hope and suffering. And three specific, and I'm going to say hope inspired. Because all the things that we've been talking about up to this point, when I came here to talk to you a couple of weeks ago before the conference about our living hope, 
um, our eternal hope, our future hope, if I have that, then these actions will follow. And again, we'll get to this at the very end of our time together. I will tell you why. If I have hope in the ultimate future that God has for me, then something will manifest itself right now. And the first one is this, an action of adopting a submissive posture. And that is so rare these days. Adopting a a submissive posture amidst unjust suffering. Now, verses 18 through 20 They're talking about, uh, they're addressed directly to slaves, Roman Empire slaves that had become Christians in the ancient world, okay? Now, anytime we speak about Roman slavery, we need to at least make a, a notation here that Roman slavery was not equivalent to American slavery, Some ancient slaves were well-educated. Some ancient slaves lived well. They had meaningful jobs, and they could potentially purchase their freedom. Some of them were enslaved because they were working off debts that they had incurred. So that's not the same as what was a horrific scenario here in American slavery. However, both ancient and American slavery still meant this. You were duct-taped to a particular situation. That meant ownership and you were not free. And while institutionalized legal slavery does not exist in America now, there are always authority structures that we find ourselves duct taped into. And Peter makes a remarkable statement that sometimes we don't like to hear with our American independent mindsets. Duct tape yourself in right there. Lean into it by placing yourself under, say under, say under, under the appropriate authorities. Submit means place yourself willingly under. Our tendency is to be over in our American independent free spirit mindsets. Our natural instincts, as I have mentioned, when somebody that is over me treats me poorly, is for me to try to escape the situation, grasp for power in the situation, slander, manipulate, seek revenge, becoming cynical or avoiding or appeasing. Each of these natural responses focuses on exalting myself over that individual. For what purpose? Ultimately, it has to be this, so that I might exact the same thing to that individual that they did to me. And I can get that person under me so that I can do what they did to me and I can make them feel what I felt when I was under them. Peter instructs something entirely different. Lean in. Lean into the duct tape. Strap yourselves in and get underneath that. Why? Oh, friends, here's the answer. Peter doesn't say this right now, but this is the answer. Our position under unjust suffering. You'll see this clearly a little bit later, but our position under unjust suffering is precisely from where redemption will come. Our position under unjust suffering is precisely from where redemption might come. 
And from that position, we have the opportunity to give authorities appropriate respect. Can you believe this? <laughs> Can you believe this? Someone in my situation being treated unfairly, I'm under them with whom I am duct taped into, and he has treated me poorly. I am to honor and respect him. Are you kidding me? The word here translated respect is the Greek word for fear that Peter uses in other very similar circumstances. We studied this last week. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. He's greater than you. Okay. So that's the same word that's used here in our verse. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, as if they're greater than you. Okay. Or, Peter uses that with wives in their positions underneath their husbands as they observe your chase and fearful, respectful behavior towards somebody who is perceived to be greater or is greater. For all believers here, Peter says this, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, treating them as greater than you. Here's the point. Here's the point. In unjust suffering, though the individual may have treated you as lesser than themselves, you're not to do that. You treat them as greater than yourselves. From this position, under unjust suffering, is precisely where something about God's beautiful plan of redemption can be prized and set on display here in this position under. Someone treats you as lesser, you treat them as greater. Right. We'll flesh that out even more. In this position, you have the ability to show kindness in your response, gentleness in your response, diligence in my work efforts as opposed to just saying, hey, I'm going to put in my day's work and I'm not going to work very hard. I can show diligence here and continue to work with excellence to my boss or my professors or those who are in authority over me. In this position under, I can give obedience in non-sinful requests. However, I know what you're probably thinking. Brent, this is the typical response in counseling when I begin to talk to people about responding in this kind of way. The normal answer is this, Brent, you want me to be a doormat, <laughs> a doormat, and people just walk all over me. That's not exactly what I'm saying. Um, but in Paul Tripp's New Morning Mercies, his devotional dated this past week, February 28th, Paul Tripp writes this, there are an awful lot of things that we call love that don't really rise to the level of what love is and what love does. Being willing to tolerate things that are wrong in the eyes of God may create a comfortable surface peace, but it isn't what love does. Being willing to live inside a circle of evil and not make waves may cause people to like me, at least for a time, but it isn't love. Saying it's okay, don't worry about it, to a person who did something wrong is not really loving. Paul Tripp goes on, I think often we opt for silence, willingly avoiding issues and letting Wrong things go unchecked, not because we love the other person, but because we love ourselves and we just don't want to go through the hassle of dealing with something that God says is clearly wrong. We are unwilling to make the hard personal sacrifices that are called of real love. And I'm not talking about being self-righteous. This is sometimes the Christian response to our society. We get self-righteous and view the world as lesser than us and we're better than them. 
Paul's not, Paul Tripp is not talking about that. I'm not talking about being self-righteous, judgmental, critical, or condemning. Love doesn't turn its back on you because you are wrong. Love doesn't mock you. Love doesn't mean I turn the tables and work to make you hurt in some way you have hurt me. Love moves towards you. I duct tape my feet to the situation and I engage. Love moves towards you because you are wrong so that you may be made right again and be reconciled to God and others. Now, probably unlike the Roman Empire, I wasn't there even as old as I am. I wasn't there way back then in the Roman Empire. But unlike the Roman Empire, we have system of justice here. And thank the Lord that is basically built upon a Christianized worldview that we have something of a semblance of justice here in the United States of America. There are authorities that are concerned about righteousness and justice. So friend, if you are abused and there has been some kind of a a illegal action against you. And even in a church situation, if you have, are in a marriage where a spouse is abusing you in some physical and illegal way, please seek the appropriate justice in that regard. Appeal to the righteous authorities in the church and by all means also in the community of the law enforcement as well. But just also recognize that when I do anything like that, okay, and I do good, so I, re- I do good, I'm kind, and I speak truth when I need to. When I function this way, I also understand that that might be resulting in a consequences being poured out on me. Consequences for doing what is right. Peter makes a statement about facing consequences for doing here what is right. And Peter says, the, the amazing statement, this finds favor with God. What on earth does that mean? We have to ask ourselves this question. Is God some kind of a, a, a cosmic masochist who derives pleasure from our pain and then rewards us for it? Is, is that what our God is like? Say no. Say no. Of course not. And I'm going to explain that a little bit later on in our last point. But for now, for now, here's the surprising thing. In the midst of unjust suffering, our God says, get under it, okay? Submit to it. Adopt a submissive posture. Learn in that under position and duct tape your feet right there. Secondly, and this is not surprising, that submissive posture underneath unjust suffering, you know this is precisely the example of Christ. So, Embrace the example to be like Christ. Folks, we are about to behold the truth of what God finds precious. Peter has given us the truth that our faith is more precious than gold. Peter has given us the truth that Christ, something about Christ, is more precious to God. He's called Christ the precious cornerstone. What is God trying to align us to? The cornerstone is that part of the building that aligns all the other pieces. And if we're being built into that building, what is precious that God is aligning us into? Peter has referred to that as this is of precious value. What is the preciousness? And here it is. You've been called for this purpose. And here it is. 
Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in turn. There was no clamoring to get over his oppressors. There was no revenge. Not even a word escaped from his mouth underneath his breath about his murderers. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. In the terminology that I've been using, he was allowing his feet and hands to be more than duct taped to the cross. Oh, to be nailed to the cross and trusting his Father to save him. He did not save himself in due time. And there was a result of that. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Because he was underneath unjust suffering. You were healed. You were healed there. You have been called for that particular purpose. Friends, that's what God is duct taping our feet to. Okay? The surprising and unbelievable countercultural and upside down response to unjust suffering as found ultimately in Christ. If you're a child of God, and I know a good portion of you, probably the majority of you here today are, if you are a child of God, you will be more and more and more looking like Christ. Becoming what Christ meant for you to be, and that's like him. Michael Wilcox states this, that um, about God's people. Okay? If you are in Christ, okay, you will become what he meant for you to be. In the life of God's people will be seen, first of all, a remarkable reversal of values. Okay? This will be true over time of you. They, God's people, you will prize something. You will prize what the world despises or calls pitiable. But you will suspect what the world thinks is desirable. What does the world think is desirable in terms of unjust suffering? You know what it is. This is our instinctive nature. In the face of injustice, here's what the world prizes. You're going to get yours. Wait till I get power. Wait till I find a way to scheme against you. You shoot me with a pistol, I'm going to get a bazooka to shoot you. <laughs> I cannot wait to rejoice in seeing the day when you get yours, a taste of your own medicine. When God's people, if you're in Christ, you will be seeing all of that as suspect and not precious. As opposed to that, you will be seeing, if you are God's child in Christ, God's people will be seeing in a more precious way, prizing in a more precious way, what seems to be unfathomable to the world, and that's this, returning good for evil. In the face of reviling and mocking, Christ did not return evil for evil. But he, in the face of evil, here's what he did. He was absorbing. He was absorbing the injustice of others. Christ was bearing our sins in his body. He was absorbing our sins. There it is, what God finds precious, absorbing our sins. Remember this. Can I get ready to say his name. Remember this. To whom did God say, This one is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? Who, to whom did God say that? Say his name. 
Oh, you said a sweet name, Jesus. So when God duct tapes our feet to unjust suffering, he is molding us into the image of his son to fulfill our purpose of valuing what is most precious in the sight of God. And that's what we are to prize. You say, Brent, okay, I get it. I get something here. I mean, I kind of know what it means to return good for evil, be nice to those who treat you evilly. I, I get that. What does it mean to be like Christ in absorbing the sin of others? What does it mean to be like Christ in absorbing the sin of others? I don't get that. And I'm going to say, of course you do. You do get it. You do get it. Let me explain and start right here. Every, 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 say every, say every. Every injustice has a cost. It does. What makes an injustice unjust is that it hurts somebody else. Costing the victim some kind of an earthly possession, costing the victim some kind of physical deformity or physical hurt, causing the victim some kind of humiliation, causing the victim a loss of relationship. There's always a cost to injustice. And we know this instinctively. Okay? What then is the expectation of justice? The cost has to be paid. Okay? By whom? Okay. The person who perpetrated the injustice should bear the cost. That's what we all understand. That's what we all long for. The person who bore, who did the injustice, should bear the cost for that injustice. That's what we long for. But that's not what you long for in your own personal life. Think about this for just a moment. Let's put that in the context of our relationship with God, our personal injustice against His holy law. Our personal injustices, if they could be numbered, which they cannot, against God's law, would be innumerable. How on earth can you bear the cost for that? Eternity separated from God in hell, that is the cost. If you were to ever be able to be rescued from that cost. What does it require, Faith Church West? What does it require if you're going to be rescued from that cost? You cannot pay it yourself. What, what, what is required for you to be rescued? Tell me. The word is this, forgiveness. Oh, it's forgiveness. Someone who bears the cost for our injustice. What is forgiveness, Faith Church West? What is it? Forgiveness is when the just one chooses to absorb the cost of the unjust. There it is. Forgiveness is when the just one chooses to absorb the cost of the unjust. Now, who absorbed all of our injustice? Who did that? Say his name one more time. I just need to hear it. Of course. Jesus Christ absorbed your sins in his body so that you could be forgiven. There it is. And what does he ask his children to do for others? Forgive as I have forgiven you. There it is. Forgiveness is when the just one, and if you have been victimized, unjust suffering by somebody else. Forgiveness is when the just one, you, chooses to absorb the cost of the injustice through forgiveness. 
Or in terms that we have been using up to this point, forgiveness is when you lower yourself, remembering that you are just like the perpetrator and you needed somebody to absorb your injustice and that someone was Jesus who came down and lowered himself under you and considered you greater and absorbed your sins in his body so that you might be healed and then extend that grace to others. You absorb the sin in your body through the graceful act of forgiveness. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, said this, to be a Christian, he's defining the essence of a Christian right here. Okay? To be a Christian, it means at least this, to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So what is unjust suffering an opportunity for? To display the precious value of returning good for evil through absorbing the injustice of others. So believers, okay, do you go out there and, hey, seek suffering? <laughs> That's not what God has asked us to do. We don't go out there and anticipate and put ourselves in the midst of suffering just because, hey, there it is. We, do, so we certainly don't seek suffering, but we certainly savor the opportunity when it happens to show forth what is most precious. We don't pursue injustice, but we prize the opportunity that injustice gives us. We do not seek to escape it, but we engage it for the possible glory of highlighting what is most precious to God. Well, friends, you remember when we studied the Gospel of John two years ago. Maybe you remember this if you were here with us. John's constant refrain regarding the cross, that the cross was the hour of Christ's glory. Here's an example of that. Jesus says this, um, days before his crucifixion, now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Unduct take my feet from this. <laughs> he doesn't say that. Father, save me from this hour? No, 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 no. It was for this precise purpose that I came. So, Father, glorify yourself. Glory, the most precious, brilliant lights of what God values the most. Glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven and says, I have done that, and I'm going to do it again about the cross. That glory was the inverted value system of the greatest glory of returning good for evil, absorbing sin in the body of Christ. That's what is precious. And that's what he was duct taping his hands and feet towards so that he would fulfill his purpose right there. That glory was the love of God in Christ blazing from the sun, S-O-N, like the sun, S-U-N. That was the epitome of what was precious. And on the cross, Jesus submitted to his Father and the unjust authorities of humankind, displaying the prized opportunity to contrast God's mercies with all of our imposed unjust authority structures in this earth. And there it is. There is the preciousness of what we are to become. Friends, uh, Pastor Aaron Burke uh, and um, the, the video today about Serve 23. If you take that opportunity, um, you know, you're going to be an authority over the children, and they're going to sin against you constantly, okay? 
Now, I wouldn't call that unjust suffering in serving in children's ministry because you are the authority right there. But you have quite a grand opportunity for you to display. When they treat you sinfully in those little classrooms, oh, friends, those, that generation of kids are going to be authorities someday. And they're going to be under authority someday. And you have a grand opportunity to display what is most precious. Right now, we have about 11 opportunities in the 11 o'clock hour. So if this, if this congregation were to choose that, you would have to go to the 930 service and the serve at 11 o'clock. But I would encourage you, let's get those things filled out, filled as quickly as possible. If our Heavenly Father has duct taped our feet to the pedals of unjust suffering, embrace this precious opportunity without trying to save yourself you will entrust somebody else to save you. Just like Joshua in my bicycle example there, he had to trust somebody greater than himself. Entrust all aspects of your life to somebody greater amidst unjust suffering. First Peter says, this finds favor. Okay? Or, but if when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. But Christ kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. By his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep. Now you have returned. Entrust all of your life to him because he extends grace in this kind of situation. As I mentioned when I was reading that text, the word find, as in this finds favor with God, is not in the original text. This is an interpretive decision, and interpreters smarter than me made this decision, okay? but I can have my opinion as well. <laughs> I can have my opinion as well. You know, this finds favor with God. Okay? So was God some kind of a um, cosmic masochist who you endure suffering, and this is pleasurable to God? That is not what the text is saying. Okay? That's a horrible view and not consistent with the character of our God. Certainly God weeps with those who weep and does not delight in suffering. Certainly also the phrase, this finds favor with God, can mean that God one day will exalt those who have taken the posture of being lowly. He will exalt you someday. However, Peter may have had in mind maybe something else as well. The word favor, as I mentioned, is the Greek word for grace. And in every other circumstance in 1 Peter, in every one, it's translated as grace, except here. Perhaps Peter is saying this, when you return good for evil, and when you absorb the injustices of others, what is that? This is grace. Isn't that the definition of grace? Giving something that somebody does not deserve. This is grace. When you do this, you become like Christ, a grace giver. And there is nothing else more precious than that. And yes, God will certainly recognize that one day. Also, friends, entrust all of your life to him because he judges righteously. Earlier, I spoke about all injustice having a cost. And the expectation of justice is the perpetrator will bear the costs. So friends, right now, God judging righteously means that you have a choice. Number one, either you will allow the Son of God to bear the cost of your injustices 
or you will bear it for yourself eternally. The Lord will one day make everything right. He settles all the scores. So with your personal injustices, you will have to bear the cost someday or you will, by faith, allow somebody else to bear that cost. And the only one who could is Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know that one who bears your injustices, pastors would love to talk to you about that and get that settled so you don't have to bear the cost for eternity. And believers, yes, God will make one day all injustices right against you. And there's a possibility of one way that he might make things right, and it may be this. He may be making it right, so somebody who has committed injustice against you, he may make it right through you showing grace like him and drawing that source of your perpetrator, your the person who victimized you, drawing that perpetrator to himself through you because righteously suffering, righteously suffering puts on display what is most precious. This is grace. Believers, how were you healed? God did not come down and say to you and lord it over you and say you're going to be saved. He did not do that. He came underneath you, and he loved you. And by his grace, by his stripes, you were healed. You were continually straying like sheep, and now you have returned. And because you have been healed, he calls you to that same purpose. This is grace. Tim Keller says, Until you are amazed at the mercy Christ gave, you will never be empowered to provide the mercy that he requires as his children. Let me say that again. Tim Keller says, until we, you and I, as children of God, until we are amazed with the mercy Christ gave, we'll never be empowered to provide the mercy he requires when suffering unjustly. Unjust suffering. Okay? God is strapping your feet to unjust suffering with duct tape, And he's asking you to trust in him for something gloriously better than this world. Gloriously better. Let me close with this. You know, what is our motivation? (laughs) Because this seems so, the world pities the things we're talking about here. You're talking about returning good for evil, absorbing your sins, and that is so not the American way. (laughs) How do we do this? How do I not seek to be exalted over my abuser? How do I not clamor for the security that my abuser took from me? How do I not pursue revenge for the hurt that my abuser did to me? How do I not chase the hurt of others who hurt me? How could it ever be that earthly power and vengeance and exaltation over my oppressor cannot control me? There's only one way. There's only one way. If you have experienced forgiveness for your inexcusable personal injustices that you have perpetrated, you can offer forgiveness without limit. If because God has forgiven you and your future is secure, you don't have to face eternal justice because your future is secure, what do you have to fear now? You can just engage without fear. If your life is eternal, what do you have to lose now? You can simply sacrifice that life 
if you are promised riches that cannot fade someday, what hinders you from using your possessions right now to bless those who persecute you? You can simply be generous. If you have a righteousness that God is well pleased with in Christ and you're growing in that Why are you trying to continue to impress others right now? You can simply love them. There's freedom there. If you have a promise of exaltation in the future, why would there be any issues in being lowly now? Embrace, duct tape your feet to the lowly position. You can adopt that same position that Christ had. And that's where our hope comes in. We are speaking about the future security that we have in Christ and because of that hope then we don't have to clamor for all those things that I just mentioned right now. C.S. Lewis, I'm going to give you a quote here by C.S. Lewis. You probably heard it before but you may not have heard it in this context where it originally came from. It's about hope. Okay, So here's, here you're going to see the quote you may know at the very end. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continually looking forward to the eternal world as some uh, world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism. Like, I just got to bide my time until I get to heaven. So I'm just biding my time right now. So I'm not going to deal with, get my feet messy in this world. I'm just going to bide my time until I get to heaven. It's not a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things that a Christian is meant to do The hope drives us today. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world, extending grace, this is grace, the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set their foot who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Here's a quote you may know. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. That's our hope. Because we have a living hope, And then we're also influential and impactful upon this earth. This is grace. And I might take a few of these folks with me and make a difference here on this earth. If you just aim at earth, you're going to get yours. You're going to get neither. Because Peter has set forth in his letter a living hope that children of God have. Faith Church West, let's not try to escape our Father strapping our feet to the pedals of unjust suffering when it occurs. Okay. Let's engage and demonstrate what is most precious and trust Him to save us and not ourselves. And you'll dis- display like Christ. This is grace and people may be healed. Let's pray. My Father, thank You for oh, the precious value of Christ's and now leaving us on this earth without knowing what is true glory, and that's your love and grace. May we adopt a position underneath unjust suffering, as is the example of Christ, because that is by which we were healed. And may we trust you to save us, 
as opposed to reaching out and saving ourselves. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.